welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I just love doing this show. I love sharing with you. I love the community we have here. And I just love bathing my consciousness in positive ideas, connections with positive people, and positive media. I know when I choose a song to put on, and I pick something I want to listen to, or when I pick a podcast, I listen to things that already support my well-being. I was just looking at some of the epigenetic studies recently of things like immunity and inflammation, cognitive decline, and so on. And it's really amazing when we do just that, when we fill our minds with positive thoughts, positive images, positive ideas, positive music, positive media, positive news, it does things to our genes. And all kinds of genes, a whole cascade of gene expression starts. And that feeling of you feeling better in your body, that literal physical sensation of well-being actually means that all kinds of things are going on in your neurotransmitters, your hormones, your cell metabolism, and ultimately on your longevity. Because all those moments of feeling good physically, all those moments of spiritual and psychological well-being are cumulative. And it's not like you're going to you know, feel dramatically better in a week. You might feel better every day. But what this really shows up in is longevity. So longevity studies of positive mood, elevated emotion, positive worldview. And again, good things, bad things, random things happen to everyone. But the frame through which you see it is so powerful because if you are choosing to look through a positive frame at whatever's going on in your life and the world, it triggers all of these chemical processes in your body. And over time, they're cumulative. So we find people of goodwill, people of compassion, people who are making those choices that you're making today to listen to high energy health and hopefully making that part of your reality on a regular basis. Cumulatively, those things show up in longevity. So those moments of feeling good, that day you meditate, that day you tap, that day you choose to listen to a positive show, that multiplied by a 100, then by a 1,000, then by 10,000, then by many, many moments shows up in longevity. And I mentioned before on the show about the longevity studies showing, for example, that people who have a positive frame for looking at the world cumulatively add up to, it adds up to 10 years or more of greater lifespan. Not only that, people not only live longer, but their last part of their lives are dramatically healthier. I know that uh, I've watched a number of friends in the recent past, and I've been to some funerals and been to some memorial services, and people who are inspired figures in our community, people who are pioneers in energy and healing, and you watch how they are in great health, and maybe 90, maybe 95, some of them hit 100, and then suddenly they are in decline very quickly over the course of two or three days and are gone. No long drawn out drama at the end of life. So you want to be that person. And just the act of being here today with us is one of those gestures you make, one of those declarations you make in your own health and well-being 
and it's going to pay off in the form of a long and healthy life. So do this for yourself. Bookmark this page, bookmark the podcast, come back, be inspired by our guests, and then make plans, make concrete plans for implementing all of the ideas you have here and see which ones really match your lifestyle and make sure you're actually doing those things that benefit you. Again, it's cumulative and it really helps you in the long term. So do that for yourself. I love it when you care enough about your well-being to treat yourself to these wonderful inputs into your consciousness, which again turns into a wonderful output in the form of a much better life and a much longer and healthier one too. You're going to love our guest today. His name is Christian de la Huerta. He is a transformational coach. He is an award-winning author. His newest book is called Awakening the Soul of Power, and it inspires readers to discover new ways to transform their relationship to power. It has many great endorsements, and his TEDx talk helped bring the whole idea of breathwork to the forefront as an important component of any healing practice. And again, if you haven't caught the buzz about breathwork, there's a lot of it that is out there now, and Christian's going to share with us some of the secrets of it and how he applies it in his own life. He also has a group coaching program called Adventures in Transformation, and you can find more about his work at the website soulfulpower.com. Again, soulfulpower.com. Christian, wonderful to have you here. I'm so happy to see you again, Dawson. It's it's hard to believe as we were talking about before we started recording that it's been 30 years since, <laughs> since we saw each other. Yeah, 30 years. And, you know, we're all part of the same community of healing, of energy, of consciousness. And it's wonderful to feel as though that community continues. So it's great. Thank you for that beautiful introduction and that important information about epigenetics and, and the effects of a positive frame of mind on longevity and quality of life that is so critical i know i want to make that point to people because if we again make these choices it really does pay off in the short term and the long term i'd love to just begin with you just sharing how you got into this whole idea this whole field of change consciousness and healing to begin with what was it that sparked your focus and interest in this field of awareness well you know i think it's always been in there i think the calling the, the mission, that soul level mission was always in there. It kind of, I looked at it in different ways at different points. So at some point in my life, I thought I was going to be a priest. I went to a Jesuit high school and, and I thought I was going to be a priest until I realized that that structure, that organization didn't have enough, <laughs> enough room for me. Say um, no more, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad was a psychiatrist, so I was, I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology, as, as you have, until I discovered breathwork. And that experience just changed my life. Even my first session, after my first session, I knew that I would never be the same. And I knew that I had to do it again, and I knew that I had to make it available to others. And jump tracks, never went for the PhD. What was that first session? What was your experience there that was so powerful and transformative for you? Combination of things. It was a weekend intensive, and I got two things from that, which are still the two things that I do in every one of my retreats. One was understanding the ego mind. And mind you, my dad was a psychiatrist. I had a bunch of psychology teachers, and I never really understood the ego, right? Yeah, the Freud's model of personality, the ego, the superego, but that's not really, really helpful. 
in terms of liberating ourselves and empowering ourselves. It, it was this understanding the ego more from, from the Eastern perspective and how to break free from its self-made prison of fear and lack and limitation and judgment, victim consciousness, projection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all its machinations. So the combination of that with the breath work and the healing that I experienced even in my first session, healing at, at the cellular level. And I know that you know this because of your work with EFT, which also bypasses the mind. And and I saw, I was like, you know, with all due respect to psychotherapy, in the right hands, with clear goals and intentions, it can be profoundly helpful. And we all know you can sit on somebody's couch for 5, 10, 20, 30 years rehashing the same old crap and nothing happens. The reason for that is that understanding what happened to us when we were 5 or 10 or 15 or whatever. Sure, it's important, very important, but, but the problem is that trauma no longer lives in the mind. It's been somaticized and now it's, it's resides in the tissues of our body. So no amount of talking about it is going to really get to it. And practices like or healing techniques like breath work or EFT bypass the mind and heal, clear that trauma that is now stuck in the tissues of the body very effectively and very quickly. As you know, and then I thought, I mean, I remember thinking after my first breathwork session, oh my God, I've got to do this again. I don't care where I have to go, what it costs, but I have to do it again. And I got to, I got to give this to others. And I never look back. Mm. And how can you know that you have trauma stuck in tissues? What is your, what is the, the typical experience people have that, that tells them and shows them that? Well, and, and it also connects to, to your work and to your research with, with the emotions. You know, what, what used to be spiritual teaching, that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics that everything is, in fact, energy. That includes this chair that I'm sitting on, this mic in front of my face, the body, the emotions, it's all energy. Even though it might feel solid, we know it's all vibration. And just you know, because of that, it's, it's whenever we stuff our emotions, which we've all done a thousand times, that stuff doesn't just go away. Well, you can't sweep it under the rug. And how many times have we overridden our, our true feelings, our, our thoughts, our beliefs, and stuffed it because we, we were afraid of confrontation, because we didn't want to rock the boat. We, we hate conflict. But the problem with that approach is that as we stuff it, it doesn't go away. We know from physics, too, that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only transform, change forms. And so what happens is that after a lifetime of suppressing emotions, that's only two things. That energy has to come out. So it's either going to, we're going to suppress, suppress, suppress. And then the next poor, unfortunate one in our lives is says something to us the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption. Unfair to that particular situation. Or suppress, suppress, suppress. That energy has to come out one way or the other. So it starts seeping up and out. And, and showing up in the body as physical symptoms, cancer, heart attacks, uh, ulcers. Uh, so we've got to get this. We've got to get our relationship to our emotions and learn how to express them, how to get that stuff out of our body responsibly. Right? Not like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum every day. <laughs> but I, I missed that that laughter, by the way. <laughs> <I was hearing that. laughs> um, but, you know, responsibly, owning that they're our, our emotions. And so, learning how to communicate them from that place of responsibility 
courageously, because it's always going to take courage to report our, our inner truth, and compassionately. Like rather than just dumping them on somebody else, learning how to communicate them in a way that they can be received, in a way that they can be heard. Um, yeah. And otherwise, otherwise that, sh- that stuff just continues festering under the surface and getting in the way of our relationships. Absolutely. And then how much of it is done verbally, cognitively, under the, at least with a role played by the conscious mind? And how much of it is done? And can it all be done in somatic ways like breath work? You know, I think the ideal combination is both. You know, where, where you have a combination, a hybrid between the cognitive understanding and the more somatic rules. In fact, I have a lot of you know, coaches and uh, therapists who refer people to me, especially when they hit a plateau or when they're stuck. And, and so it's a great combination, ideally, so that you can have these and at the same time have somebody there to help you put a context, you know, contextualize it, know where to hang it up and what to do with it. And I've also known many, many people who've come to me for one breathwork session. I never saw them again. And that was enough. It was actually life-changing. And and they released stuff that they've been carrying around for decades, for a lifetime, and, and in just being willing to feel that stuff again, just for a few moments in order to release it, changed everything. They saw themselves from a completely different perspective and and it was like resetting, like rebooting, starting life anew. Yeah. Give us a couple of examples, too. I'd love to just hear one in every segment, just to share a story that is noteworthy or striking. Like, is there one that really stands out to you of a person who in one session was able to catalyze, shift, and change they hadn't been able to make before? This was more than one session, but it's one of my favorite stories because it, it connects to so many of the struggles that, that many, most of us, I would say, have with relationships and how subconscious, unhealed stuff gets in the way of our relationship. So this is a woman probably in her 50s, incredibly successful, like, like international VP of a, of a multinational corporation, had never really had a successful relationship. Um, and so in a, a couple of, we probably did a couple of retreats with several sessions each, but in the last session of the last retreat that she did with me, she had a profound insight, and she'd been kind of approaching it. But she had such a profound insight and made connected in such a profound way how she had been abused sexually and as a kid, as a young kid by her pediatrician, and and was dealing with the conflicted feelings because at the same time she felt the abuse of it she also felt that that was the only person who really saw her and understood her uh so you know that guilt that many people who experience things like that you know have to navigate and so in in getting to that place she had this visual where she saw a locked door but realized that she was inside the room and that she was the only one who can let herself out and this is all in the middle of a breathwork session long story short that was on a Sunday. On Tuesday, she was having lunch with a friend. And the friend said, oh, I don't know why I hadn't thought about this before, but you need to meet so-and-so. Within a week, they had, she was having lunch with so-and-so. Flash forward uh, three years later, I, I married them. And, you know, they've been together for a long time now. And, and, an incredibly beautiful, like her partner, her ideal partner. And so, so it goes back to the, you know, the, the work that in, in my relationships retreats and coaching, 
paraphrasing the Course of Miracles, it's you know, it said something like, it's not our job to look for love, but to look within ourselves for the obstacles to love. You know, how do we block love? How, how are we keeping love at bay? Sometimes, even from the get-go, even by attracting the wrong people, people who are not a match, people who are not available, they live on the other side of the world, they're already with somebody else, or they're just not there. And so rather than looking for love, the Course in Miracles says, our job is to remove the obstacles. And in her case, that was the obstacle, fear of betrayal, fear of abandonment, fear of, you know, like, how can I trust men? And when that was healed, boom, love showed up. That's a wonderful story of inner change that led to outer change. And I know I have quite a few friends in the LGBTQ community, and they often have real, real challenges. Like one of them, I was at a mastermind with him a, a few months ago, and I just love this guy. He's, he's a close friend, and uh, he is a, a, a brilliant human being. I don't want to go describe any of his accomplishments, though he's, he's well-known in certain prominent fields. But he said to me, Dawson, gays don't thrive, we survive. I'm just surviving, I'm not thriving. And I thought, wow, I just felt, I felt so sad when he said that, because he was this brilliant human being. He has just had a series of disastrous relationships, and he just made that blanket statement that, you know, he's just watching me and my wife and us doing our heterosexual thing. And, you know, after a, a lot of personal growth we've done over the decades, but he he made that comment to me, and I just thought, that and I, I have several of my gay friends say similar things recently. And so, what challenges that are there that aren't there necessarily that are unique that aren't there for heterosexual couples? Well, that's such a profound question. I think, and, I, and I'm so sorry about your friend. It, it's certainly not my experience as a gay man, although I've certainly been there, and and I know self doubt. I know the the deep underlying self hatred that many in the LGBT community struggle with because of profound existential questions though. You know, like like my struggle, like part of me wanted to serve the sacred and yet I was being told by that religion in which I was raised that I was gonna burn in hell for eternity, just for being who I am. And so it is a profound existential question. I think what your friend says though applies to most human beings. You know, most of us I think mm. I think most humans are just surviving. Very few people, I think, are thriving. There is that extra layer in the LGBT community because because of that existential question. And that's what the message of my first book, Coming Out Spiritually, was about. That it's really sad. It's really tragic that so many in my community struggle with, with issues around spirituality because we confuse it with religion. And no wonder, given the treatment that we have received and continue to receive at the hands of most religions in this world. But what is ironic and sad and tragic about that is that before the patriarchal times, back in the days when, when women and the divine feminine were honored, you know, before the patriarchy, which was what, several thousand years ago, when people that we today call LGBTQ were not only spiritually inclined, but were actually honored and revered in many cases for, for the roles of spiritual service and spiritual leadership that we played all over the world. And so part of what I did in that book is help us reclaim some of those roles by, you know, I call them archetypes that people that we today call because, you know, LGBT, because those are very, very, very recent words in human history. Even homosexuality is a very recent word. Um, I think it's from the 1800s. Uh, the late 1800s. But, you know, we know we've, we've always been around. You call us whatever you call us. And it, it's kind of turning that upside down. The, the, the fact that 
most of the oppression and the persecution of LGBT people is religiously based. And, and, but, but here's another interesting point that I think is very pertinent to our times. Delve into this question. The more that I realize that homophobia and misogyny, two sides of the same coin. And I'm, and, and I believe that the deeper one is really misogyny. Let's pick up on the, the next segment. We're going to a break right now, but I'd love to pick up on that, how those relate to each other and how there may be deeper fat forces at play here than we realize. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I'm so glad you've joined us. Please come back after the next segment. And for more on Christian's work, go to his website, soulfulpower.com. For a copy of my newest book, Blissbrain, go to blissbrain.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am your high energy host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you on the show. Please make it part of your regular mental, emotional, and spiritual health routine to listen to high energy health. There are so many negative voices out there, problematic events going on in the world, and all types of media that will drag you down and just really pull your consciousness away from your well-being. High energy health is the antidote. Won't do that. We have amazing guests, amazing information, and also a lot of practical tips you can use as well. Like we've been talking with Kristen de la Huerta today about breath work, and we'll get into that more deeply. And so make this part of your regular routine. Go ahead and bookmark the show. Use it regularly to inspire yourself. Also, for a copy of my newest book, Bliss Brain, go to blissbrain.com. You can get the book for free. You pay shipping and handling, but you get the book there for free, as well as eight meditations. And if you want to see what those meditations do, you can go ahead and check out a journal called Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience. And a paper that appears there, just actually appeared there this last week, is on the meditations in Inbus Brain. It shows they literally are producing brain change in a month. So change your brain, become more positive, literally change the anatomy of your brain. And you can find that all at blissbrain.com. For more on Christian's work, go to his website, soulfulpower.com. And again, his newest book is called Awakening Your Soulful Power. And you can see, I'm sorry, Awakening the Soul of Power. You can get that at the website, get it online. And again, visit his, his site for, it's a gorgeous site. There are all kinds of resources there. And you want to make sure you take care of yourself as well and see if breathwork can be a part of your daily or weekly self-care routine. Christian, you made that statement that really rubbed me on my heels. You were saying that misogyny and homophobia are two sides of the same coin. Go into that a little bit deeper. You look at the religions or the cultures that oppress, uh, persecute LGBT people, 100% correlation, they're the ones where women are not equal, where women are less than. And, and if you look, for example, at some of the, um, the, the religious prohibitions, what, what some of those, there's six, what are called holy texts of terror, which were translated or mistranslated or taken out of their cultural and historical context to be interpreted as oppressing LGBT people. One of them is, I forget, you know, I think it's from Romans. I forget the numbers, chapter and the verse, but you know, you should not lie with a man as you do with a woman. I don't mention anything about women. And why is that? Because back, that back then, 
women weren't even human. Women were property. And, and even today, you know, if you, if you speak to, you know, some of the staunchest homophobes and you talk about two women together, it's like, ooh, I want some of that. I want to get in there. Two men together, you're going to roast them out or they want to kill you. So what is that? What's that about? And I think that what's going on beneath the surface is that two women together are not a threat to the status quo. Whereas two men together, in their mind, one of them is willingly forfeiting the superior male status. That is a threat to the status quo. And that's my thinking about it. I think, and, and that's why in the second book, even though it's for everybody, it has a particular message about women's empowerment. And that's coming from my belief, my conviction, that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. Not to idealize women, not to put women up on a pedestal, not to give women more crap that they have to clean up in this world. It's because as a world, as a species, we've been working very off balance. We're very off kilter, even today between the balance between the masculine and the feminine energies. That if we think about it, course through all of us, no matter what kind of body we're in. These are universal cosmic energies. And yeah, maybe much the surprise of some humans, we're part of the cosmos. So those <laughs> energies are also going to course through all of us. But the problem is that we have turned the feminine into something weak. You know, like with and and, and we all pay a price for that, by the way. Because like like especially guys, you know, like without minimizing the price that women have paid during the last several thousand years of the patriarchy and the oppression and the unnameable, horrible stuff that, that women have had to put up with, men have also paid a price for that. But little boys don't cry, right? That's how most of us were raised. Maybe not so much these days, but why is that? How come little boys don't cry? Because only little girls do? And, and so a couple of really faulty assumptions there. One, that the feminine is weakness. It's like, wait a minute. You want to talk courage, strength, resilience? Let's talk about the courage of, of, I mean, about the power of creation that resides in a female body. And then the emotions, that the emotions are weakness. And I, I paused there for a moment. I was debating whether to tell this joke, but I think I will. I think you'll appreciate it. And we're going to hear your laugh again. I dare you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Betty White, this is attributed to Betty White, you know, who left us earlier this year. So apparently she was being interviewed in one of those group celebrity interviews. And somebody said something about, having balls. And and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. How come we have this association with courage and strength with balls? You thump those little things and the guy bends over, collapses in sheer pain. <laughs> you want to talk courage and strength? Let's talk vaginas. Those <laughs> things take a pounding. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the you know what we were talking about the emotions. You know, emotions aren't strength. They're not weakness. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just energy. How we express them, depending on how we express them, they have a good or not so good effect. But they're energies, neutral. There has been this this idea of uh, emotions being weakness. I know that I've done a lot of research with veterans with PTSD, and a lot of them are just trained out of expressing their emotions. And they're not only trained out of it as children, like big boys don't cry, also as adults, that they don't show their emotions. And so they come into therapy, they realize they have PTSD, they realize things aren't going well in their lives. And then they just have, they, you know, if they were, for one thing, they have no emotional literacy, they can't even explain how they mm -hmm. feel. You ask them, how do you feel? And they look around like they're searching for a feeling. Where is that in the room? <laughs> Right. And and no wonder then, right? No wonder that the rate of, of longevity, you know, like in the US, 
women outlive men by five years. If you look at the numbers globally, seven years. And if you look at the, the number, the, the rate of suicide, I only have the numbers for the U.S., but in the U.S., men commit suicide four times as frequently as women. Hmm. In fact, 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men, which begs the question, is like, why is that? Because you would think that the group that ostensibly, and I think pretty arguably and pretty obviously, holds the majority of the power in the world still, you would think that they would live longer, have a lot more benefits and privileges, but yet they're taking their, their life 70% of the suicides. And I think it's what we're, because of what we're talking about, because of all that suppression of emotion that we walk around like these uncaring, unfeeling robots. We think that's what it means to be a man. And what a limited and limiting perception and definition of, of masculinity and what it means to be a man. And Absolutely, so that's why, very limiting, yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have more about that and those definitions of masculinity, femininity in the next segment. Please go and check out Kristen's website and his new book at soulfulpower.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. And each week on the show, I bring you ideas, I bring you techniques, I bring you inspiration, and I bring you encouragement to really apply these things in your life. There are so many powerful practices that can change your attitude, can change your mood, can change your longevity. When you just apply those things in your life, you find that you can make dramatic shifts from the inside out. So please do use the techniques we're sharing with you here today. If you'd like a copy of my newest book, it's called Bliss Brain, and you can get it at blissbrain.com. For more on Christian's newest book, go to his website, soulfulpower.com. Again, soulfulpower.com. So Christian, again, this whole idea of power that you're referring to you referred to earlier and about how we have this ambivalent relationship with power, this conflicted uh, relationship with power. How is that? Yeah, there's a part of us that wants it. And there's a part of us that is terrified of it. And I think what we fear, Dawson, is that if we really step into our power, if we really be all of who we are authentically, that other people might not be able to handle that and that we might end up rejected alone and who wants that i think we also fear that we might abuse it and no wonder how many abuses of power have we all witnessed throughout our lives in fact all you gotta do is turn on the news any given day to witness at least one abuse of power and then add to that this other whole other layer that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing that power is a negative thing with quotes like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And who wants to be corrupted? But what they didn't tell us about that quote is that Lord Acton, who spoke those words, was speaking specifically about political power, not the personal power that we're talking about. So when you add to that mix what we were talking about, the emotions and the fact that we, we hate conflict, 
we avoid confront confrontation, what happens is that we give away our power, our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us, nobody can take away. We are the only ones who give it away, who sell out on our power. And, and the saddest part to me is the reasons for which we give away our power. Like how many times have we said yes when inside it really wasn't okay with us? Inside it was a definite no. How many times have we played small, like stuffed stuffed ourselves into into smaller little packages so as to not rock the boat too much or to not cause conflict? And the thing is that we settle for an illusion of of security, a false sense of acceptance, and and morsels crumbs of pseudo love because it's not even real love because if we're not presenting ourselves authentically anything that we get in return is not going to be authentic either it can only mirror how we're presenting ourselves uh, so it's not a really good strategy and so what this book is about is like how do we step into power into personal power in a way that's not about hierarchy control fear force domination manipulation how do we do it in a way that doesn't require that we push anybody down step on them put our knee to their neck in order for us to feel powerful and so one of the first steps um, toward you know on that journey of reclaiming our powers realizing that we're talking about different kinds of power so i talk about worldly power or ego power in contrast to spiritual power or soulful power and, and how do most of us, what, how do we associate power? What kind of people do we associate power with? People who are famous, people who have money, people who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the, the corporate ladder or any institution. But the thing about all those kinds of power and expressions of power is that they're external. They're outside of us. So therefore, fickle. Here today, gone tomorrow. And that kind of power is always, it always has an agenda. So it's always trying to grab something for itself, and it's always self-aggrandizing. So it's always blowing itself up to seem bigger than it actually is. And we don't need to look very far in history to 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 to, uh, to, to think of examples of people who have all the money, all the power you could want in the whole world, and their sense of self, their self-esteem is like fragile. Like one tweet sends them into a whole either reactivity or you can just see through it how, how poorly they think of themselves without mentioning <laughs> the obvious names. So in contrast with spiritual power or soulful power, that's again inherent. We all have it inside of us and it has nothing to prove. It just is. And it's rather than being like having about self-service and having that agenda, it's about serving others and making a difference. And it's humble. So it has nothing to prove. So I think, for example, a Gandhi or a Gandalf, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet, from looking at them, you'd never know how much power they hold until it's necessary. And then get out of the way. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach. And he did that without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. That's power. Yeah, I wonder why that example hasn't been followed in more places. And so we saw that example with Gandhi, which 
rocked the world, which which just changed our paradigms and our assumptions. And then we see other frozen conflicts all over the world, you know, Somalia and Somaliland, Palestine. Yeah. There's so many places where they're just Syria, where there isn't that ability to to make change. Even it's, you know, in the US, it's pr- produced all kinds of really violent acts to even think about people reclaiming their power. So that's, we look at those shining examples like Gandhi, and yet I'd love to have a few dozen more Gandhis around right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, could we need another Gandhi or another Mandela, he also embodied, or another Dr. King, who also embodied the, those principles of nonviolence. Yeah. That eventually, that we can track all the way down to Jesus, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, so for someone listening here and really being thoughtful and looking at their own racial power, how do you start to find that point of inner power in yourself? Well, you know, it's a process, of course, and it begins with self-awareness. We can't do anything about what we're not aware of, what, what we can't see. So I would begin by asking, like, like to approach two-pronged approach, beginning to expand how we think about power. And so continuing this, this frame, this frame of thinking is like, oh my God, I didn't realize that there's a way that I can step into power would be congruent. That would be a match with, with the goodness in my heart. And then begin to notice the patterns and asking yourself questions like, where do I tend to give my powers away? What are my patterns? What kind of relationships? What kind of situations in life? trigger that, that behavior of me playing small or hiding my light under a bushel or giving my power away and saying yes when it's time to really feel no. Mm. Uh, so is it, for example, with authority figures, parental figures, bosses, mm. religious leaders, uh, coaches, you know, HR professionals, whatever? Or is it perhaps with romantic, intimate, sexual relationships? Right? And so by beginning to observe our lives, we begin to see the patterns. And once we see the patterns, then we can choose otherwise. We can yeah, override those learned behaviors. Yeah, relationships are the big one. I know where yeah. we may do it in other ways, but then that's the one where free of public gaze, we really are up against it. We'll explore more about that in the next segment. You're listening to High Energy Health. Thanks for being here. For more on Christian and his newest book, which is called Awakening the Soul of Power, go to Soulful Power. Com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I invite you to join me every single week for another episode of High Energy Health because it is so full of inspiration, it's full of insight, and I hope you've been taking notes as I share these ideas with you and Christian and his wonderful insights, not just about breathwork, going far beyond breathwork to self-healing, and then to really looking at power, personal power, not power over, but the power we have from the inside out. So we'll we'll cover more of that in our last segment here. And for more on his work, go to his, his website, Soulful Power. His newest book is called Awakening the Soul of Power. Again, that and many more gifts are at his book at his website, soulfulpower.com. So Christian soulful power. Uh, most people think of the soul as being this mysterious thing out there in the universe, uh, not part of my physical body and my physical reality. It's something that's ephemeral. I can't touch it or taste it or smell, smell it or see it. 
that can be powerful, you're telling me? Go ahead and, and share <laughs> more about soul power. Well, here's how I think about soul. Uh, and, and I'm not a theologian. But I think of it as our own piece of sacred real estate. Right? So if the sacred is, as religions claim, omnipresent, everywhere, we're, we're all part of it, that means that it's also in us and, and expressing itself through us. Once we realize that, we understand what the ego is and how it is such a tiny, 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 infinitesimal part of who we are. And we don't have time to dive into what the ego is here, but, but here's a beautiful, quick visual. Put a baseball in the center of the stadium. That's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make really important, critical, consequential choices from its very small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. So to me, part of reconnecting with our soul, the process of transformation is about disidentifying with the baseball and re-identifying with the stadium. <laughs> call that the soul, call it the higher self, call it whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, stadium nature. And so, of course, how can that not be powerful? But it's a different kind of power. Right, because the because it it it's sort of that conundrum of you know we tend to think of surrender to our own stadium nature. We think of that word surrender as giving away our power, throwing in the white towel. Ironically, counterintuitively, that's what the power is is in that act because we're actually tapping into our stadium nature, and it's a different kind of power. Right, it's it's not power over, but power with, and it, and it's a more humble kind of power. The stadium reality is more, it's, that's where, you know, we use words because we, we don't really have the words to describe it. So we use words like miracles and magic to refer to it. That's the kind of reality that we all have access to. It's who we are ultimately. Yeah. And we have to, as I say, disidentify. We have to raise our gaze beyond all those fear-based messages we're getting from that ego side of ourselves. We get sucked into that. And it's a tragedy if we spend all our lives there, as many people do, and never shift their perspective to being the stadium and to being that greater self. But when you are that greater self, when you realize you are that self, then the ego is, it's something, it's there, it's, it's handy. Like, you know, it, it keeps my calendar for me. It drives my car. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is so true. And that's really important too, because there's some misunderstandings, even in spiritual circles, that you got to kill the ego. You got to annihilate the ego because it's the source of all suffering. And that's true. It is the source of all our suffering, but there's a lot of good that comes from having an ego, from having that individual sense of identity. This is Christian. That's Dawson of it, right? The ego means I. That's what the word means in Latin is I. So it's that sense of individual, separate personality, ultimate, ultimately an illusion, both a helpful illusion and the source of all our suffering. As, as far as I understand, as long as we're in a body in this third dimensional reality, it's not a bad thing to have a, an ego identity. The thing is not to identify with it and not to let it run our lives. But rather than killing it or annihilating it, it's just like putting it like the, it has kind of usurped the place as if it were the sun. And it thinks that it is the sun, that the center of the universe or, or, or the solar system, at least. And what we're saying is like, uh-uh, you don't get to make those choices for me anymore. 
because all those choices are made from a limited and fear-based perspective. So we put it in its proper place, in service to, in orbit around the sun, which in this case goes back to the soul or the stadium or whatever we call that. One of the most simplistic ways of putting that is the way the Course in Miracles say, says that everything is either based in love or fear. And that's just a, a very binary kind of choice. But when you look at what you're worried about, what you're thinking, what you're focused on, that is a really good question to ask. And the chances are, if it's all about fear, it's ego-driven. If it's all about love, you are the stadium. What a beautiful analogy, Kristen. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for being yourself. Thank you for all of the, the trailblazing things you've done over the last while in your books and your work. I'm deeply grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a fellow author, I don't know how easy it is for you to write, but for me, it's work. So to have that acknowledged and recognized, it's, and for you to, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing that you continue send, sending people through the website. That is so touching and so appreciated. And, and thank you. Thank you for for having me on the show and for having the show to begin with. Because I know, Dawson, that in your willingness to do that, you are reaching so many people and having them and helping them to have the kind of lives that they dream of and the kind of relationships that actually can work. So thank you. That's all of our jobs in this wonderful healing and energy community. So please come back again. We're here every single week. There's a new episode. We love sharing. We'd love to have you be part of this wonderful sense of being, of community, and of love we're all part of. Till next time, be healthy, be happy. See you then. 